Hello, everyone. I'm Dave Mashburn, and this is Three Rules, a blueprint for conversations that matter. I want to thank everyone who's responded so far and has been very specific about what they've enjoyed about this and what it's meant to them. It encourages me. This is a series built with a mission to provide you with what I believe is the clearest, most repeatable path to approaching any conversation where conflict might occur. It's a framework. Some of my clients call it a checklist that you can use to approach any conflict at work, at home, in the boardroom, as a leader, as a parent. This blueprint is based on a few beliefs that have been distilled from my 37 years of providing psychotherapy to patients. The beliefs are that picking up the latest book to learn new relationship skills and strategies will rarely work because it's no match for your unconscious mind, which will almost always override those skills when the stakes are high or the emotions get tense. And so instead of techniques, we actually need rules to do relationships well. We need a framework that can be applied across every relationship. And these rules must create clear, consistent guardrails on unhelpful reactions while encouraging you to say what needs to be said in the way it needs to be said. And lastly, it's based on a belief that it's not the worst part of ourselves we're afraid of. It's the best parts, the core self, the image of God, the part of you who's not self-protective, not self-promoting, not defensive or adversarial, the part of you who wants the best for everyone, not just yourself. It just so happens that that part of you is not afraid of hope and has higher aspirations for yourself and other people. This series is intended to be listened to in order. So if you haven't done so already, go back to episode one and two. So here's a quick review of the conditions and rules. Rule number one, assume the best of others, set aside anger and fear, aim for direct, clear, concise, drama-free communication. The conditions are, I'm the puzzle to solve. I'm the only puzzle I can solve. Number two, remember shared destination or the objective before speaking to anyone. And then have a very relaxed hold on the outcome or the consequences. Now today, we're going to be talking about rule number one, assume the best. I went over all of them last week briefly, but here's assume the best at a bit deeper deeper dive. What does it mean? The core of rule number one, which is assume the best, is this reality that we will amplify and we will expand whatever we speak to in others. If we respond to and speak to the worst reactions in other people, we will expand and amplify that behavior. Conversely, if we speak to the part of the person who we happen to believe exists underneath all of that noise and argument and posturing or avoidance or sulking, It's never a guarantee, but it's the only and best chance of expanding and amplifying that part of the person, that part of the person who wants the best for everyone, who can see and hear and care about what is reasonable. By talking past the worst reactions to the best person inside, you are affirming and encouraging that, and you're not losing hope that there is that part of the person that exists. This changes everything about your approach. It changes your tone. It makes it softer, more approachable. This helps you not discount any feelings or needs or preferences or ideas that they might have, while at the same time holding holding all of your 
thoughts and re- reasons and, and feelings and preferences is valuable as well. The best assumption of everyone is that everybody is capable of doing that. We're all capable of holding everybody's preferences and feelings as valid and at the same time not giving up our own So now many people were not raised in situations where this occurred. And even in the homes that did this correctly, they didn't necessarily teach us implicitly what they were doing and how they were doing it. Many of you trusting other people will be difficult. It's not impossible, but this will be your way of reverse engineering the benefits of psychotherapy. It'll force you within this guardrail of assuming the best And then, of course, then you'll have to examine where any other distrust comes from. But you have to assume the best of yourself as well before you do this. You have to say on some level, I'm desiring to be a good boss or a good parent or a good spouse. And underneath my poor reaction is someone who can course correct and apologize and come back to the table in a more peaceful, practical way. And so that is a step that you have to do to assume the best, is really assume the best in yourself as well. So assuming the best also calls us to do two things quite differently. First, it requires us to resist being easily offended. Being offended easily is the first step. It's like the first domino knocked over in a relationship beginning to sour, where defensiveness is then nurtured. Acting or responding in an offended way will automatically put people on the defensive. There's a moment in any exchange where the stories you're telling yourself about the other person has a powerful emotion attached to it. And these emotions are much more attached and related to past stories than they are today's stories. I'll talk more about that under rule two, emotions. But right now, let's stick with what we're on right now, which is taking offense. Listen to what Richard Rohr of Falling Upward says about taking offense. He says, more suffering comes into the world by people taking offense than by people intending to give offense. So what do you do when someone says or does something that's offensive to you? The best thing to do is nothing. It's a powerful tool when we say nothing or do nothing, we're offering them a chance to sort of self-correct. So assuming the best lets them go through that process on their own. And most of the time, that will help change that type of response in them. But if it doesn't, you just follow the rest of the rules eventually to address the pattern in the way that it needs to be addressed. Now, that's one layer of the rule. The next layer of assuming the best is that this rule forces you to make the assumption that underneath the person's unhelpful behaviors lies a person who can and will value your ideas, your needs, your preferences, and your questions. This is an enormous step for many of you. And for all of us, when the stakes are high and when the emotions run thick and tense, it's always difficult to do this. And so I'm asking you to do something that perhaps many of you have not learned to do, which is first, you have to figure out what you really need or prefer. And number two, you have to place value on what you prefer or need. And if you don't find 
value first in your own needs and preferences and expectations, then by default, that doubt that exists in your head regarding your own preference or your own need or your own questions is not going to come out in the softest, kindest, best tone. You're going to throw it out there, wrapped up in all these preemptive ways of protecting yourself. It'll be hidden underneath layers of self-protection. And it'll come out either controlling or adversarial or scolding or avoidant, all of which will not create the response you desire. So one of the greatest benefits of assuming the best is it's the first step in putting responsibility back on you to figure out what your needs and thoughts and preferences are in the first place and for you to find value in them and then to trace back why you don't do that and figure out that first. Because if you can't figure out that, you won't be able to follow this step. So here are two very simple examples. One, an example of of a client at home with their spouse, another example at work. So I had a client whose husband would routinely lose his wallet and invariably, just before leaving, would frantically panic and start yelling, where's my wallet? In a very angry tone. This caused my client a great deal of anxiety. She would respond with anger and yelling herself. It would really spiral out of control and escalate. But beginning to learn the power of assuming the best and the power of condition one, which is she's the only puzzle to solve, and putting anger and fear aside, you know, rule number two, and delivering direct, clear, concise, drama-free communication, she simply said at dinner one night, hey, listen, we've got a pattern I want to change. Now, again, she had to value her preferences to do this. We have a pattern I want to change. Next time you can't find your wallet, if you'd like me to help look for it, I need you to find me wherever I might be in the house and ask me kindly and calmly if you'd like to, for me to help you. Does that sound reasonable? He said, absolutely. So he did this for a few months, but at one point he panicked loudly again, and she just ignored it that time, which was perfect, and he didn't do it again. Now, she was very prepared if that went on, to say we kind of had something in her back pocket to use, which would be, you've done it again, what would be helpful for you to remember not to do that? So again, by that question, you're suggesting that there's a part of that person that really does want the best and wants to be a good, respectful individual. A work example is this, a female executive who I worked with reported to a CEO of a very large company. And this CEO had a habit of at least with her, and I would assume with other people, had a habit of changing what he prioritized for her to focus on. This created enormous frustration in her. And to make matters worse, he had this reputation of not handling feedback well. He was quite defensive and dismissive. But as we worked through the three rules and conditions, and when I convinced her that it was my belief that in dealing with people over 37 years, I would bet anything that at least one of the reasons he doesn't handle feedback well is that because he's, he's got this reputation of being intimidating, people have lost hope that there was a reasonable man buried underneath all the bravado. And so it created a situation where everybody was probably indirect and that if she forgot the reputation and tried to identify this person inside all of that, the bad behavior 
and deliver her preference in the most confident, concise, drama-free form she could, she might have a chance of being heard. So she went down the checklist of all the rules and all the conditions and sat down with him and at the next meeting. She said, I'd like to start the meeting. He said, okay. She said, we both want to be productive and reach the goals, right? He said, of course. He said, she said, I can't be productive if the priorities change. So from now on, I will push back a great deal if we have more than two priorities per month. And I want to be super productive. And the only way I know to do that is to limit priorities to eight per year for me to focus on. And if we have disagreement about that, let's bring in other stakeholders to reach the best solution about this. Now, she was very prepared to say, if he didn't agree in some way, well, this may not be the best fit for me then. But he didn't. He said, hey, listen, that sounds like a great idea. At least for the last year and a half, that's been the way it's worked. Not assuming the best will create a defensiveness in you and everyone around you. Assuming the best creates a non-defensiveness in you and everybody around you. And, and we're actually kind of afraid of that because we're afraid that if we're as vulnerable as these two people were, someone's going to be angry or we're going to feel exploited or made fun of or seen as a fool or be seen perhaps as too confident about what we want. It's a very vulnerable state to believe that our ideas and our needs and our preferences are important. What if we're wrong? What if we're unreasonable? What if they don't like me after this? These are all risks that we have to be willing to take. But typically, in my experience, 95% of the time, you actually get the impact that you want. And the 5% are usually reveal the people that you actually can't be around. So when you see the good in people, you come in with a different tone that will amplify and expand that. Some of the good questions I've had regarding this particular rule is, at what point do I quit assuming the best? Great question. Most people would think the answer to this is that once you detect a pattern that the person's not going to change whatever destructive pattern they have, but that's not it at all. You actually want to continue to assume the best. You still want to hold out hope for them and your conversations change over time, but you state in a clear fashion what the consequences are going to be, which is that you actually can't be around that behavior, but you have all the hope for them that they might, that you need to find a way to communicate all of these consequences in a way without the tone of antagonism or threat. Under the fear and anger is always hurt or sadness. That's what you need to latch on to. Under the fear and anger is this sadness that you, if you speak from that position with those individuals, you're going to come across with this better tone. Well, I had a lot more to say about assuming the best, but I want to keep this series as compact as it can be while still providing as much information. Now, next week, rule number two is set aside anger and fear. We'll be talking about the stories inside your head that are attached to these feelings and how to get them out of the way before you speak. So until then, I want you to please take the time right now to push this button that says follow in the upper right hand screen of the upper the Apple podcast or the bottom of Spotify. So you don't miss any episodes. Send this link to a friend or a spouse or a colleague who could benefit from this, or perhaps to your entire team who can agree on it together. Reach me at threerules.co. 
That's number three rules.co. I will send you the one page summary of these so you can follow along as we go through this. I look forward to next week. Talk to you soon.